Welcome to Barry and Lambert's Solicitors podcast series, Planning for Your Future. In this series, we explain in detail how life planning can help you navigate your way through the ups and downs, and how getting your affairs in place now can assist your loved one's future responsibilities. Barry and Lambert Solicitors, we're right by you, through the good times, challenging times, and sad times. Hello, I'm Paul Harvey, and a very warm welcome to this Barry and Lambert's podcast. And today I'm delighted to say that I am with Emma Houghton from Barry and Lambert. It's a very warm welcome, Emma. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Emma, before we uh, embark on the topic today, which is about marriage past and present and why you should consider a will, could you please describe briefly your role with Barry and Lambert's? Yes, of course, Paul. I'm a solicitor who's been qualified for 12 years and I've been with Berry and Lamberts for just coming up to two years. I have quite a varied role in a, a really nice team here. On a day-to-day basis, I will deal with advice regarding wills and allowing clients to execute wills, issues regarding trusts, lasting powers of attorney and administration of estates. So it's quite a varied role. Part of that's involves that I'm also qualified as a trust and estate practitioner, which means you are a body of society for the trust and estate practitioners, an internationally recognised body and leading to the international qualification. Excellent. You're a very busy person. Emma, (laughs) we're going to embark on the topic now, but I'm going to create a scenario, first of all, and then I'll lead in with the questions. Here's the scenario. Clients, Mrs. A and Mr. B, they come to see you. Mrs. A divorced two years ago. She has two children. Mr. B has two children from a previous relationship. This period is an extremely happy time for them as they got engaged three months ago and have started planning their wedding for next year. However, amongst all the wedding planning, they want to consider their estates in the event that anything happened to one or both of them. Now, Mrs. A made a will about six years ago, which did leave everything to her then-husband and then to her children equally if he had predeceased her. So my first question is, is Mrs. A's previous will an issue and is it still valid? In some ways, that would depend on Mrs. A's views. She would still have a valid will and given her current circumstances, she may be slightly concerned and decide she wants to update it. However, the main level of concern, which would be her previous marriage, isn't a concern for her, and I would certainly put her mind at rest in that regard. When you divorce, any ex-spouse is automatically removed from any entitlements in your will. It's as though they actually passed away. So that's the first thing I would point out to Ms. A and hopefully remove some of the worry she might have in that regard. So is the will still valid? Yes, it's absolutely valid. However, if her ex-husband had any entitlements, his entitlement would be removed. So what would happen to their assets in the event of there not being a will? If there wasn't a will, for example, if Ms. A had uh, left everything to her husband and there was no further beneficiaries mentioned, she would no longer have a will. If there's no valid will in place, what happens is... A person's assets pass under the rules of intestacy, which are set out in the Administration of Estates Act. And this allows for a category of persons to take 
an estate. For example, there can be concerns as your spouse, if there is one, will automatically take the first £270,000 of an estate. Anything above that will be split between any children you have and your surviving spouse. So in the respect of Ms A and Mr B, if they were to marry, then they would each take £270,000 of the survivor's estate. And in some situations, you might think that's not an issue. However, in this situation, they both have children by previous relationships. And I think the general situation would be, if most people thought about it, and I'm sure this would be the case with Ms A and Mr B, that they would go, well, hold on a moment. I want to consider the entitlement for my children. So anything above 270000 will be divided 50%, 50% between spouse and any surviving children. However, Ms A and Mr B might not think that's sufficient and they may want to consider ring-fencing through the security of a will their assets for their children. We'll come on to ring-fencing a little bit later, actually. Can they estate plan in the event of their deaths without being married by completing wills? Yes, absolutely. There is a method you can do that by inserting clause, which allows the contents of a will to be made in contemplation of a marriage. However, what I would advise is it has to be quite strict in the respect that the marriage has to be planned and set. So I'd be looking for an example that there was an engagement with the idea that the wedding would be following reasonably shortly afterward and you name your fiance. So you don't actually have to have a, a date for the marriage in place? No, you don't have to have a date, but you would need to name your fiance so that it was clear it wasn't to be withstanding if you married anyone in the future. Mm. It has to be that you were intending to marry the specific person you mention in the clause. You mentioned about ring fencing. Can you elaborate on that and, and how you can ring fence the individual interests in any assets for the children? How does that work? When I'm discussing with clients, and as I would with Ms A and Mr B, I would talk to them about specifically what they wanted to do in relation to their estate. And for example, if they were to say to me, well, I want to make sure anything I have goes to my children. I would then look at determining exactly what extent they would want to go down to their children, i.e. what exactly they would like to ring fence. Is it the entirety of their estate and the capital in it, or is it a specific part of it? That would be the first question I would ask. So what you can do is you can ring fence the capital of either your estate or individual assets for your future children and ring fence the capital however when you have a spouse you have to be extremely careful that there is consideration of entitlement to them if they don't have any entitlement under the terms of the will then they could bring a claim against the estate as a dependent therefore what i would discuss with clients and i would discuss with ms a and mr b is would they consider that the other of them have some entitlement during their lifetime to the particular asset or assets that they want to ring fence 
for the children during their lifetime. So, for example, a common scenario in that is that a property is put into a lifetime trust for the other to remain there for their lifetime, but the capital interest is saved or ring-fenced for the children that on the death of the other, the capital then passes to the children. However, you can give a lifetime interest over the whole of the estate. And in that case, you, you would simply say, for example, in Ms. A's case, I give a lifetime interest over my estate to Mr. B and on his death, the capital would then pass to her children. Do you come across ring fencing? Is it fairly commonplace? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's become more and more common in my work over the last probably five to 10 years, I would say, certainly. You're seeing a number of second relationships, second marriages, and, you know, couples are concerned that they want to make sure not only they provide for their spouse, but there's protection at the end of their lifetime for their children and they they can have peace of mind in that respect. And that is why a will is so important. I can imagine. And um, it's obviously legally binding. Ring fencing is clearly something that, that sticks. Yes, absolutely. It's a legally binding document. And you would advise your client, or I certainly would, that the trust that would be set up for any lifetime interest to then allow at a later date the capital to pass to children is managed by trustees who you have the faith in that they will manage the trust effectively. Sometimes this can be next of kin. Sometimes people feel more comfortable actually appointing solicitors or a firm or partners in a firm. So this question at the beginning, the the title of this discussion is Marriage Past and Present, Why You Should Consider a Will. So very clearly, in order to make sure that that the children's interests on both sides are taken care of, it's essential to have a will in place here. Yes, absolutely. If you don't put a will in place to protect the assets for your children, then you could have the danger of your estate passing under the rules of intestacy where the first 270,000 will pass to your surviving spouse and that's not necessarily what you want Mm. for them to have outright. It's extremely important as a lot of people wouldn't necessarily want their spouse to take everything absolutely. Yes, have a lifetime interest but not necessarily have their assets outright they want that to go down to the children and the children would miss out on at least a proportion of that if the person doesn't put a will in place and the estate goes under the rules of intestacy we're all aware of the fact that you know we can buy a kind of will kit off the shelf somewhere and almost you know embark on a diy process what are the dangers of doing that especially when it comes to this intricate kind of ring fencing strategy. Have you seen it go horribly wrong with DIY um, attempts to uh, to create a will? Yes, certainly. I think the first thing is a lot of people won't even consider the aspect of drafting any kind of trust in the will. They'll simply say, I give. And they don't even sometimes think of what they want to put in place. I think that's extremely important why illegal advisor is so important they ask the questions to establish exactly what the client wants so that they can then 
draft it. Something off the shelf isn't necessarily going to even ask the right questions as to what someone wants to do with their estate because they're so simplistic and people might assume they're they're correct. As I said, they wouldn't necessarily, if you have a, a very basic, they will not certainly put anything in trust if they're a basic will. So it's important to have that drafted properly. A legal advisor will also very carefully consider the question on who is the right person to manage your trust for you, because that's another point. A lot of people might say, well, actually, my husband can be my trustee, when actually, he, you know, I would advise that's not necessarily a good thing because there could be a conflict of interest if he were to have a life interest. So you might, might want to consider someone independent. I've also seen it go quite wrong where someone has drafted a will and they actually want to leave uh, property straight to charity rather than spouse or children. And that's given no advice in relation to any particular claim by the spouse or the children against the estate. Mm. I can see there are a lot of pitfalls here if if you are attempting to uh, draw up a, a homemade will that doesn't have the flexibility to enable these certain safeguards to be put into place. So, you know, why you should consider a will <laughs> and not write it yourself is very, very clear. And in terms of provision for guardianship of any minor children, can that be also built into into the will? A very good question. Something actually in this scenario, which is another important conversation I would have with Ms. A and Mr. B, you might be intending to marry and marry someone. Is it the case you would want them to be the guardians of your children? In that respect, you can put a guardianship clause into your will, absolutely. However, what I'd normally advise is you have to consider any parental responsibility rights. So of any minor children, take example Ms. A's children, has her ex-husband got parental rights? If so, that might be quite difficult to overcome. However, I say you can certainly at least express an intention of who you would like to be your children's guardian to be taken into contemplation, if nothing else. No, sure. And if you want to change your mind on any aspect of the will, like, you know, guardianship, for instance, and even ring-fencing requirements... Can you still go in and change those at any time during your life? Yes, absolutely. You can revise your will as long as you have the mental capacity to do so. The second point on that is I'd also be extremely careful on advising any clients and make sure I didn't feel they were under any duress to enter into any revised will draft. How can you establish that? In respect of undue influence, I would normally ask that I see the person alone if I felt there was any issues um, and have a discussion with them and make thorough notes in relation to that. In relation to capacity, a solicitor can be in quite a difficult position in that respect. I think my view is if I feel something's wrong, then I am up front and I would look at saying to the individual if I thought they were able to understand. I feel to avoid any one bringing any action against your will that we get uh, a professional to do a medical report to show you have capacity. And what are the tax implications of leaving assets to each other and their children? 
in that respect, the tax implications are pretty good and it's not something I would be overly concerned about. Each individual has their own personal inheritance tax allowance, which is referred to as the nil rate band. Anything above that is subject to inheritance tax. However, if you leave anything to a surviving spouse, then you don't effectively eat into that nil rate band as anything you leave to a surviving spouse passes tax free. So in the situation with Ms. A and Mr. B, although it may be a lifetime interest, that is still considered as leaving their asset or assets or estate to the surviving spouse, and therefore that will pass on the first death free of inheritance tax and will not eat into the nil rate band of the first of them to pass away. On the second death, they can then use the first nil rate band as well as their own, which is called the transferable nil rate band. So on the second death, there would be 650,000 available before any tax was due on the survivor's estate. We then have what's called a residential nil rate band, which is a potential chop up, but I don't want to dwell too much on that. I think my main point is to say that anything you pass to a surviving spouse, whether it's in a lifetime interest or not, passes free of inheritance tax on the first death. So what would be the tax implications with regard to the first death and when there is a tax liability? Exactly. That's another point to advise Ms. A and Mr. B. If they don't leave the estate to the survivor either outright or by a lifetime interest and they pass it directly to the children then the children are not an exempt beneficiary for the purposes of inheritance tax. So putting that into context say Ms A had an estate of 350,000 which she passed directly down to the children without any consideration for her new husband, then you would have an allowance of 325000 but anything above that would be taxable at 40% on her death. And would it matter what age the children are? No, not at all. It might have to be held in trust for them until they reach the age of majority, but it doesn't affect the fact that it becomes a taxable estate. They are non-exempt beneficiary for the purposes of inheritance tax. Right. So if there was still five years to go up to the age, you know, where they can legally inherit, if it could be five years, for example, of a fairly high tax regime applying to the estate. On her death, you would pay the initial inheritance tax would be payable. Hmm. So on her death, you would get a calculation of the estate and the inheritance tax would be automatically paid. So again, that would lower the, the children's entitlement. The rest could then be put into trust and they would get the capital on majority. If it was a specific type of trust, a discretionary trust then, and it was over the nil rate band, well, then, yes, you could be subject to further inheritance tax charges when funds are paid out. I don't particularly want to dwell on that, though, as as that's a slightly different scenario, which isn't as common. And I think it it's the main point of the immediate inheritance tax being payable that is the important point for most people to consider in scenarios such as this, which are quite common. 
Emma, is there anything you'd like to kind of finish on that really sums this up and gives a strong piece of advice? Yes, I think in a situation like this, legal advice is a must. There are so many points to consider. You have a potential new spouse who, if you don't give some consideration to, may be able to bring a claim against your estate. Balancing that against your want to protect the estate for your children, it's something that requires an an awful lot of advice and planning on how you want your estate to be dealt with and how to ring fence for your children's future, but also probably with some consideration for your spouse. And that it's a difficult juggling act and legal advice, as far as I'm concerned, is a must. There's a lot of information here. If people want more information on top of what they've heard in this podcast, how can they get hold of you? Yes, certainly. So they can contact by telephone i'm happy to speak to people by telephone the number is 01892-526-344 and be happy to arrange an appointment if someone would like to come and speak to me face to face alternatively i'm available on email ehalton at berryandlamberts.co.uk that's great thank you very much for your time emma i've been talking to emma halton who is a private client lawyer with Barry and Lamberts in this podcast. Thank you for listening to Barry and Lambert Solicitors podcast series, Planning for Your Future. Find out more about us, our services, and what our clients say at berryandlamberts.co.uk. Barry and Lambert Solicitors is regulated by the Solicitors Regulation Authority and a proud member of Lawnet the UK and Ireland's leading network of independent law firms promoting excellence and best practice. Please note that the information provided in this podcast series does not constitute legal advice and serves as a general guide only. The law may have changed since this podcast was recorded. Listeners should seek tailored legal advice from a solicitor who will take your individual and personal circumstances into consideration.